Our first scripture this morning comes from the book of Psalms, and it's actually the last psalm, Psalm 150, and it is a psalm of worship and praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our second scripture reading for today comes through um, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And this is in the midst of a conversation between Jesus and um, the Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day. And this is what Jesus says to her. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning seeking your your truth, seeking your spirit. And we long to be worshipers who worship in both spirit and in truth. And Lord, we come... Um, knowing that worship is a, is a common thing in, in our lives. Um, it's, a part of our, it's a part of our rituals, but Lord, we pray that you'd continue to, to show us the depth and richness of what you long for in the, your relationships with us. Lord, we pray for Pastor Mike that the words that he has prepared would become your words in our hearts and minds and we would see your glory here in this place. All this we ask and pray in your precious name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here uh, with you. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Mike, uh, one of the leaders of this congregation. I'm glad uh, that you're here and hope you feel welcome. And if you have concerns or questions about uh, our congregation, just look to the left and your right and ask someone about them because we're we're still smashing uh, our congregation together into our new facility, so we're still even meeting each other a little bit. I do want to take a minute as I begin this morning and thank all of you that were part of the moving party. I don't know how many people were here moving stuff. I know that there was three, four, or five dozen people moving stuff, and I just want to warn all of you that it it was kind of like a real move in the sense that that we got everything here, but it's not all put away yet. Uh, we're still looking for some shelves to come in. We're looking for some other stuff. So if you go down the education building hallway, don't be nervous. But there's a lot of stuff in the hall still, and it will all get sorted out in the next week or two. Uh, but it's kind of like if you have a neighbor move, the, you know when they're actually settled when the garage is empty. All right? right now our garage is full, so uh, we're going to do that. 
Well, our, our sermon today has to do with worship, and, and it starts like this. Years ago, <clears throat> I worked for an inventory company when I was in seminary. These things don't exist as much anymore because now the SKU codes have come in and all that sort of thing. But we used to go in uh, to stores when stores used to close. You know, at 10 o'clock at night, we'd go into, I remember we were in a Target store in Fort Collins, Colorado, and we were getting ready to count everything. We wore these little 10-key calculators on our belts, and <clears throat> we counted all the stuff in the store to see if their inventory was just about right. Well, I'd gotten to one end of the store, and <clears throat> I was kind of with about three or four others and working with one of the managers at that end of the store in a Target store, <clears throat> and he said, uh, hey, you're right over there. Can you hand me the Brannock device? And I'm like, what? What is a Brannock device? Do any of you know what a Brannock device is? Let me, <clears throat> let me tell you this. It's something that's <clears throat> very familiar to you. I would even guess that most all of you have used a Brannock device at some point or another, and I had no idea what it was, <clears throat> even though I'd used it. I was very comfortable, as a matter of fact, using it. I just didn't know what it is. And it's named after a guy named Brannock. Are you, am I helping yet? Let me show you a picture of it up here. That's a Brannock device. You know, if they'd have just said, hey, lean over, son, and give me that foot measuring thingy, I'd have got it. But when he said, give me the Brannock device, it's named after a guy named Brannock, and we've all stuck our foot in there at least once, you know, to be measured, right? Well, as we, I, I use that to show you that there's a lot of things that are familiar to us that we know, that we use, but, but we might, might not exactly know what the depth and richness of them are. So we've come into this sermon series about the pillars of faith. And part of our purpose in the Pillars of Faith sermon series as we begin our relationship with the community and, and our relationship with each other here at this new place is to look at some of those words that are very familiar in the faith that we've used many times that we, we kind of think we, we know how to use them and sometimes we need a little bit more information to become a little bit more clear. So we're going to do some time over the next few weeks and the last few weeks in, in clarifying some of these words for ourselves to strengthen our own faith and, and grow in them, and so that when we use them, we really can know uh, the meaning of them. So today we're talking about worship in worship. You're at worship, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah, we're still running, how, learning how to run this, but we're still the same people, so we can talk back and forth, because I can see you now. And, and some of you are starting to sort yourself out, so I know where people are starting to sit now again. Took me a few weeks. I kept wondering if people were showing up out there or not. But now I know where you're at. But but we're going to talk about worship at a worship service. You might say, well, isn't it weird to talk about worship at a worship service? I mean, Mike, we're here. Why would we talk about worship here? Shouldn't you be speaking to the folks that aren't here about what goes on here? And I said, well, you know, at some point I would say, well, that's true. I need to speak to them. And we need to talk about worship here. It's not weird. L let me ask you this question. If you're at a baseball game, would it be weird to talk about baseball at a baseball game? It's not, is it? Uh, let, me, let me show you a, a picture up here. If, if you were part of a conference at the pitcher's mound, unlike the movie Bull Durham, you really wouldn't be talking about wedding gifts there, would you? You know, the pitcher, the, the coach who's back to us, I, I'm guessing, would walk out there and say, now, fellas, Things aren't going so well, so here's the plan of what we're going to do next. They're, they're clarifying. It's, it's not odd for us to talk about baseball at a baseball game. And I know that when I've been watching baseball on TV, probably you too, you'll hear the announcers every once in a while say, now listen, 
for you youngsters at home, if the pitcher throws a high fastball and you swing at it, assume he's going to throw another one higher, right? It's not weird to talk about baseball when you're at a baseball game or watching a baseball game, and it only makes sense for us to talk about what we do here while we're here. So when we're away from here, we can engage in worship in deeper and richer ways. So let me give you a working definition of worship. Worship is communion with God in which believers center their minds and attention and hearts on the affections of the Lord. So let me repeat that. Worship is communion with God in which believers center their minds, attention, and hearts, affection on the Lord. The idea is our attention has to focus on God and the activity of God. And our affection, and and this is hard for we North American Christians that are often called the frozen chosen, that's funny to me. That's right, we're the frozen children, so we don't want to laugh out loud. It's just chuckling our heart. Okay, all right, amen to ourselves. Affection, showing showing affection to God. Just so you guys know in the back, my cheat screen's not on. But uh, showing affection to the Lord means we've got to let stuff out. We've got to let stuff out. We have to express some of our emotions. To worship, we center our mind's attention on God. And you aggressively, aggressively, hear the word aggression in there. You aggressively resolve to set aside distraction. See, we are a diversion-oriented society, aren't we? Isn't there stuff coming at you all the time? You want to see one of the most terrifying things? And, you know, we so often say this, throw this on millennials, but it's not millennials. matter of fact, we were in a meeting the other day, and one of the people brought to our attention, there were four of us, and she was a millennial, and she said, I just want to point out the attention that I'm the millennial here, and I'm the only one not looking at my phone right now. But you want to see somebody panic? Be in a meeting with them, or be in a situation where, it's no, where they know it's wrong, like a funeral or something, to look at their phone, and you hear their phone going, and the panic that comes on their face, like, I've got to check that. I've got to see what's going on. I, I mean, I know that... I know that's the middle of my own wedding ceremony, but my phone. And the panic on their face is horrible, you know. And so, because we have all this stuff coming at us all the time. And, and, and when we want to worship the Lord, we have to aggressively set aside our, our distractions. And it's not just the phone. Have you been in this? And I hope none of them happen out here in the center or in here. Have you ever been in that conversation with someone? Or, or at least you think you're in a conversation? And they're having an over-the-shoulder conversation with you. They're, they're kind of looking towards you, but they're really looking past you to see if somebody else comes in. I always think, man, when somebody's talking to me and they're looking past me, they're thinking, man, I hope something better than him comes along pretty soon. Right? But that's how we're div- distracted we are. We're distracted thinking, well, maybe something else is coming. Maybe, maybe there's a, a better idea. But, we, but to worship, we need to set aside distraction. And, and I know I've talked to many of you that, 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 you know, you say, I lay down at bed in bed at, in the morning at night, Mike, or I get up in the morning and I want to pray. I want to focus my attention on God. But my mind races. It, it races. You ever, I mean, I, I, I'm like this sometimes. This happened to me about a week ago. I sat down in my chair at my dining room table, which is fairly new. We, uh, funny story. 
not in the sermon script, so stay with me, guys. Teresa and I have had the same dining room table for 20-some years. She kept saying we wanted to sell it and get a new table. So one day I put it on Facebook and sold it, and she came home from work and said, hey, we need a table. So I bought a new table. But I sat down the other day to pray at my table, and, and the chair squeaked a little bit. Now I sat down to pray, but all I could think about is, i got to get a screwdriver and fix this chair. Because we get distracted so easy. You've sat down to pray too or, or read your Bible and you look at your Bible and then you see a bird fly across the sky and you wonder where he's going. You run to the window and look. We get so distracted so easy. But to worship God, we have to aggressively set our minds on setting distraction aside. We need to fix our eyes. We need to get laser beam focus on the Lord, on what we need to see. And what we need to see is God's activity. You know, about three years ago, uh, Teresa and I went on vacation. And typically when we're on vacation, I know I'm a religious nerd. I am. It's okay. I've come to grips with that. But when you're a pastor in a church, which I love being, there are times when you're in these moments together with you, and I'm worshiping together with you, and my job is to lead you and guide you and shape you and, and, and hope to, to bring you into closer relationship with God. So sometimes we have to focus our, our thoughts on, on leading worship, and our worship might happen in the, an office somewhere. But oftentimes when we go on vacation, and we were in Anaheim in this particular situation, and I was tired and I was frustrated and, and not everything was working out perfectly and we were trying to get the building program going and all that sort of thing. And I went to a worship at uh, um, Honda Arena. It, it was Wren Collective, maybe bands you don't know, Wren Collective and Hillsong and Carrie Job and all these. And I remember all of that worship just pouring down on me and this kid, this, this kid out of a band I've never heard of, he got up and he focused my eyes. He pointed not at my section, but he pointed at my heart. And he says, you know, there's some people here that are staring at the wrong thing in their lives. They are staring at the mountains in their lives. And they're saying, oh, Lord, how can I make it over that mountain? How can I get around that mountain? And he says, what you need to be staring at is not the mountain, but you need to be staring at the one who says, I can take the mountain and move it from here over to there. It's no problem for me if only you focus your eyes upon me. But so often we focus our eyes inwardly, and I know that's what was happening to me. I kept thinking about, well, I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too difficult. People aren't cooperating and all that. But when he said that, I thought, oh, my goodness sake. I've been focusing my eyes, fixing my eyes on all the wrong things. My focus needs to be on the Lord who could take a mountain and move it from here to there. You know, when the people of Israel were going across the Jordan, when they were moving into new land, Joshua was told by God, put the ark out in front of them. Put the ark out in front of them so no matter what terrain they go over, no matter where they at, they can focus their eyes on the presence of God, and no matter what they encounter, they can see such as it was, everything's going to be okay because, as always, I am with you. In Jeremiah 29, it says this, You will, you will, that's an affirmative thing, you will seek me and seek and, and find me when you seek me. So if you seek me, you're going to find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, you shall find me. We, we need to fix our eyes and get our attention focused, not on what we're doing. This is worship. But on what God's doing. We need to watch what God is doing 
in and around and among us. And we need to aggressively seek going after getting our eyes fixed on the right thing. And when we get distraction moved away, our relationship with God grows and grows. Secondly, we need to give worship a high priority. Understand this. Busy is not a badge of honor. When we're so busy, we have divided attention. Because we think there's so much to manage. I'm so busy, I'm so busy. I know that's the badge of honor in today's culture. I'm so busy, I have so much stuff going on. But when you have so much stuff going on, we've moved other things to higher priority. We've diluted our ability to do well at, you know, anything. Our opportunities are so vast that they get in the way of every other thing and, and we don't do anything very well. And we're too busy for worship. I, I find this all the time in my culture that so many people say, I'm too busy, I can't get to worship. I, I, I just always say that, and I apologize, and I'm going con- to repent of this one day, but this is what I always say. When people say, I'm too busy to worship, I say, well, don't you hope and don't you pray that on the day that you die, God doesn't say, you know, I'm too busy watching those boys escape to bring that person into heaven today. I'm too busy today to worry about their salvation. Don't, don't you hope that doesn't happen? And, and so when we say we're too busy to worship God, what we're really saying is we've let other things get in between us and God. We need to f- focus God, our, our eyes on God and give worship a higher priority. We need to, to consciously reconsider our calendars, priorities, and see if what's on there is godly or not. Psalm 46.10 says this, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, in the way of God, God from time to time will say to us, hear this, don't hear what I'm not saying, you North American Christians. Sometimes God says to us, don't just do something, sit there. Just sit there and be still. Be still in my presence. Be still and let me wash over you. Be still and seek me in your heart. Be still and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that I am not only with you, I am guiding you. But stillness, quietness is a choice. Stillness is a choice. Attention, whether we focus our attention on God or not, is a choice. Lifting God's name high, lifting God's, God's life in our life higher is a choice. And so when we talk about worship as a pillar of faith, worship's a choice. And worship doesn't just happen in here. But it should happen in here when our hearts are right. Worship means we center our mind's attention on the Lord. Now, the second part of that definition I gave you a few moments ago said to worship, we center our heart's affection on the Lord. Worship should have real, deep, strong emotions towards God. Now, I know, again, we say, whoa, 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 emotions? I'm not so sure I want to have emotions in worship, Mike. And I'm not talking about Valentine's heart kind of emotion. Oh, God, I love you so much. But... But I remember a while back, we were in a 
in a meeting of, of other pastors. And, and I, I can't tell you how, how wonderful it is that in the United Methodist Church, we have men and women that are equipped to, by God to preach the gospel. And we were worshiping uh, a bunch of pastors. And, and I remember one of my friends, a female pastor named Jen, she said this sentence that just kind of ruptured my spirit. She said, oh, she looked at me and she says, oh, Mike, when I think about Jesus, I just love him so. I thought, how magnificent is it that she is talking about Jesus? I mean, it kind of stopped me at first. I was kind of surprised because, you know, we love Jesus. I love Jesus, and I expressed my heart to Jesus. And Jen was expressing her heart like he was standing right next to him. I just love you so. I love you so like we say to our children. I love you so like we say to our spouse. I love you so. She was saying, I just love Jesus so. My heart just expands. And I know that in worship, we need to have deep, strong emotions that we can express to God. Real affection to God is important for us. Now, we're all going to express it differently. Some of us are going to express it in absolute quietness. Some of us are going to have holy laughter. Some of us might have tears of pain and joy and healing or frustration running down our face. It's all worship when we're authentically worshiping God, when we allow ourselves to be with Him. But, and some of us will say holy words. Some of us might even let an amen out right during the middle of the sermon. Hey, thank you. You know, hide it under a bushel. No. Some of us might need to shout. Some of us during the hymns, it's okay because 11 o'clock or 10, 10, 15 people move around in here a little bit. It's okay in the hymns if you want to sway a little bit or you feel like just worshiping. As long as it's authentic, whatever takes you there. Whatever. But worship means we center our attention on God and we allow our heart's affection to come out to God. And be clear about this. There should be no emotional manipulation in worship. Never should there be emotional manipulation in worship. I came out of a, a seminary. I, 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 it was, uh, I'm not going to talk about my seminary, but I, I went to seminary with a guy named Hal Evans. Hal Evans was a youth pastor extraordinary. He was a great youth pastor. And we were standing up with youth in Estes Park, Colorado. And he was just getting ready to speak. And he looked at me and he says, watch this. He says, watch this. He says, I can make all 1,500 of them cry. I can make all 1,500 of them kneel down in prayer. Watch this. And he went out and he did it. It's exactly what he did. And I thought about that at first because I was, you know, five, six years younger than Hal. I thought, man, I got to learn how to do that. And then I kept thinking, I don't think that's right. Because emotionalism just comes and goes. You know, emotionalism is like, you know, sometimes when you say to a little child, hey, you can eat frosted flakes and chocolate cake for breakfast. They're like, oh, That's emotional, but it doesn't last. To manipulate people in worship, that is wrong. And and I pray that if anybody ever on this chancel appears to be doing this, even if it's me, that you come to us and say, in the name of God, you need to stop that and stop it right away. Because emotionalism does not last. Emotionalism blows with the wind. You know, uh, Kelsey and and, uh, Jacob, who you saw on the screen, are already down at summer games, getting ready for our summer games camp that, that starts this evening and then tomorrow for the students. 
They've been praying all week. And one of the things they pray for is that the authentic spirit of Jesus Christ comes into the students that come down there. And, and the theme of the camp this year is 360, which is to say camp is easy for five days, but when you go home for the 360 of the rest of the year, that's when your faith, that's when your worship needs to be authentic. And so we spend a lot of times with the kid of saying, oh yeah, are they going to dance around and jump around? Well, yeah, because we do a little bit of exhaustion evangelism just to get them to sit still to hear the sermons. I admit that, that we do. And it's also kids that they have to have some kinesiology moving around. But, but it cannot stop at emotionalism. Even when you have a good feeling in the worship service, make sure it's authentic. Don't, don't just say, oh, it felt so great. But don't let it be like cotton candy that just fades away. Emotionalism has its place. But what the Lord desires is much more authentic. This is why when Jesus says in John John chapter 4, what Simon read a minute ago, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, see, you understand true worshipers means that there must be some false worshipers somewhere. There must be some worshipers that aren't doing it right. There are worshipers that are worship showers. There are worshipers that are worship shower uppers. But true worship comes when it worships the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. True worshipers are what the Lord desires. And our worship must be different. It must be dedicated. It it must be authentic. Because authentic worship includes the head and the heart. Now. Today is our first communion at 5050 REC Drive. And during our first communion, I'm going to make a call to you. I'm going to ask you to center your mind's attention on the Lord. To thoughtfully consider putting aside your distractions. To focus on God and God alone in your relationship with Him. Do you understand how precious that is? To take moments, and we've created them here, to focus on your relationship with him and no other things for for just a few moments in time to prioritize meeting with him and knowing him and to center your heart's affection on the Lord and allow laughter allow, allow joyful elation allow tears of pain or release or hopefulness all that's welcome and take your time we have time you know at the last place I always felt kind of like a softball umpire at the end of a worship service. Hustle in, hustle out. But here we have time. And one of our great joys and hopes has been that we can reclaim the kneeling rail of the church. We have 72 feet in which to kneel across here. So today is the first time we're taking Holy Communion in this church. Therefore, everyone's going to be learning a new way, including the pastor and our communion stewards. Now, now in a moment, I'm going to go back and stand behind our beautiful new altar and institute the elements. For the first, and maybe the last, though I can't predict that, but for the first and maybe the last time, my image is going to be projected on the video screens while I'm instituting the elements. This, This will not be our practice, but because of the depth of the chancel, it may be helpful specifically for these people over here on this side for you to see it for the first time. Now, once I've instituted the elements, 
we will come down to the sanctuary floor, down here as we've done other places, and be met by the stewards who will help us serve communion and receive your morning offerings. There will be three communion stations, one at the beginning of this aisle, one here, and one over in the center of that aisle. Pay careful attention now to this next instruction because we want you to hear it. You will receive communion from the front rows working back. So the people in front of you, you can see. On this, our first effort anyway, we're going to allow you to usher yourselves to the appropriate communion station. Those on the outside sections will naturally come to the section that's closer to them. Some of you may go here, some of you may go here, but you can naturally go to, to the row, to the communion aisle that has the least people waiting in line, regardless of what station it is. And after the seat receiving your elements, oh my goodness sake, I hope that you will kneel down and pray at this rail for as long as you desire or return to your seat directly. Again, hear this instruction. You won't be ushered to communion today. We're going to move from the front to the back. So if you're in the front row and you've never been to communion before, you might want to say, hey, could you go first so I can see how we do it? There's, there's no need to rush today. I'm looking at the clock on the back wall. We have plenty of time. All will be served, so please let these moments be holy even while you're standing in line. Let, let the music, let your prayers overcome all things. Now, of course, as is our practice, if you're unable to come forward, as we complete our serving stations, we'll work our way towards you. Please, if you desire communion, make some gesture that will help us understand that you desire to be served in your seat. We, we do not want to miss anyone, but we cannot intuitively know exactly who has come forward and who has not. And as is our practice, our worship extends beyond the walls of this particular building. There are many that are unable to join us here in worship today and receive the communion that's instituted here at this service. So, our homebound communion teams will take communion to them. Members of that team uh, in our ministry will pick up their communion elements and, and some other materials on the, my far right, your far left, on a table there, you'll find it. Now, I say this to all of you. In the United Methodist Church, we believe in an open table of communion. And we invite all who are in attendance with us today to receive communion. If you are the Lord's and he is yours, then you're welcome to this table. Of course, if that makes you uncomfortable, we simply encourage you to remain seated during this time and pray or listen to the music. And our worship will conclude as soon as all who desire to receive communion have been served. We will take communion d during the method that's known as intinction, which means you will pick from the basket a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, uh, receive it yourself, and then move towards uh, either the kneeling rail or your seats. Uh, let us go about the business of receiving our Lord's communion. Holy Communion is the center of the Christian faith. These are moments known as sacramental, moments that have a depth and richness that supersedes some other moments, even the preaching of the Word. This is because Jesus inaugurated the sacraments. He inaugurated at Holy Communion the idea that we can be in communion, that we can commune with Him forever. He did this in a simple way. On the last night of his life, he took a loaf of bread, 
offered it to his disciples, and then broke it and said to them, This bread represents my body. And as you have seen me break this bread, so you will see my body broken before you. And every time you eat bread, do it in remembrance of me. And after the supper was complete, Jesus took the cup, raised it, and gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then offered it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine, which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, we eat the bread and drink the wine, knowing that salvation comes from God and God alone. It is to this meal that you're invited today. I invite you, when the stewards are in place, again working from the front to the back, that you come and eat and drink at your Lord's table. Give us one second.